I'll never forget one day my dad came home with a Ferrari Testarossa borrowed from somebody. I mean, I always liked cars, but then I just thought it was the most amazing thing ever. When there's energy in the room, it's really fun while still talking about millions and millions of dollars or even tens of thousands of dollars. Sometimes you have just as much fun on buying a $10,000 car than a million dollar car. It is down to relationships, down to the relationships that you have with people. And we're talking about some very valuable cars. So there's a lot of trust involved as well. The Chubb Interviews with Jody Kidd, brought to you by Chubb Insurance, expert insurers of your most valued possessions, established since 1882. Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Chubb Interviews. I'm Jody Kidd. In this series, we talk to fellow classic car lovers, exploring the personal stories of the people who inhabit this wonderful world. With everything beginning to get back to normal, I really hope you're having a fabulous summer. Thank you so much for all your fantastic feedback about the series. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to all of the Chubb interviews, why not check out all of our episodes? Today's guest is one of the foremost figures in the classic car world. With over 20 years as a car specialist and auctioneer, his knowledge and experience of the industry is almost without parallel. He spent a decade as managing director at RM Sotheby's and then in 2016 founded Girardo & Co, specialising in selling some of the most elite cars in the world. I'm joined today by the brilliant Max Girardo. So it is time to say hello to our special guest. It is Max Girardo. How do you, what's the proper, is it Girardo, Girardo? Is it, how am I supposed to say it? It depends, if you want to go full Italian, you could say Massimiliano Girardo, or if you go oh. to the English version, you go Max Girardo. Girardo, okay, I'm going to stick to that one, even though the Italian sounded so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Max, welcome to our podcast. I suppose the first question I always ask my guests is where their love of cars originally came from. No doubt your father would have had a huge influence, but is there a moment where you first looked at a car and just went, wow? Uh, is there a moment? You know, my family is Italian. An Italian family, there's always the cars around. I, I remember my grandfather used to take me to primary school in Italy in a little Alto Bianchi Abarth version. And I, and, I, and I thought that was such... I mean, it's the smallest, tiny little car. 85 horsepower, just in case you're wondering. I used to be so excited to go into the little Abarth. But there was... I'll never forget, one day, my dad came home with a Ferrari Testarossa they had borrowed from somebody. I mean, I always liked cars, but then I feel like it was the first time I actually saw a supercar in front of me at my house. And I just thought it was the most amazing thing ever. Like unbelievable. That was, that was super cool. That's, I think that really, lots of car stuff, my dad rallying and so on. But when the Testarossa was at home, that was phenomenal. I mean, it really is an unbelievable looking car. I think that would make anyone fall in love with cars. <laughs> yeah, it's mega. So when you were a child, you spent quite a bit of time in Southeast Asia. And I would imagine the exotic car scene isn't 
that obvious in Indonesia or Thailand, or, or is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, not obvious at all. The extent of the uh, of the car scene was uh, was when we were in Indonesia was was my dad taking the pickup truck to get higher profile tires for the uh, for the rainy season. <laughs> I mean that was that was that about was that was about it to to go through the uh, the floods. Um, even growing up in Southeast Asia, we we always came back to Italy for summer and for Christmas. Uh, I'd get sort of infused with car stuff when uh, growing up during the summers. My dad always kept some version of a hot hatch or something in uh, in Europe for when we uh, when we came back. My dad was a very very amateur, not very good rally driver. So I got lots of pictures and stories of him rallying in a Fiat 500, or it wasn't like World Rally Championship or anything like that. But it was always the talk of cars and uh, and magazines and so I, I sort of had no choice really I had to I had to like them and rallying it doesn't matter it's just so wonderful it's wonderful to watch but also to drive and to be in the car I've completely fallen in love with it it's a very cool way to race yeah definitely so I suppose that passion from your father eventually led you into the world of the collector car and the auctions specifically. First you were with Bonhams and then you went on to RM Sotheby's. Yep. You must have had a few stories to tell from that time. What was it like? Oh, it's, you know, I loved cars, but I never thought I would work in the world of cars. And I was really lucky that I had the opportunity. I, I can tell you, actually, I was just goes to show if, uh, that anyone can do it. I was working in a pub. Yes. I was um, <laughs> 19 years old and uh, someone came in with an advert for a job in the car world. I, I, and I was going to university and I thought, oh, God, I suppose I might as well reply. And it was actually at Bonhams. I got the job interview. Uh, it was the end of first year university uh, and Simon Kitston, who was running the, the company at the time, he, he offered me a job. And I'll never forget going home. Being a good Italian boy, 19, I was still living at home because that's what you do in yes, Italy. Never, never leave your mum, right? <laughs> of um, course. I'll never forget going home and saying to my mum, right, mum, good news. I've got a job for summer. I'm going to stop working in the pub because, see, working in the pub, I'd never go to class. I'd be more interested in making my six pounds an hour than going to class. But I said to her, good news. I'm going to stop working in the pub. I'm going to do this job for summer. It's cars. I love cars. And then at the end of summer, I'll stop working and actually get my university degree. Well, obviously, never went back to university, never got my degree, <laughs> but stayed in the car world. Amazing. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, so I started there. Um, I loved it. I worked my way up. I was really lucky that Simon Kitson was there and he taught me a lot about cars, showed me the way. Because I have to say, although I was very passionate about it, I didn't know that much. I did sort of seven or eight years at Bonhams and, and going all over Europe to do the auctions, which was really great. And then, uh, yeah, when RM Auctions or RM Sotheby's wanted to come to Europe, they gave me the call and said, would I be interested? And yes. And, and that was really great because I got a chance to be auctioneer and and I became the head auctioneer at RM Sotheby's and I took a lot of sales all over the world America Europe Italy England I was really lucky and I absolutely love the uh, the the auctioneering that was what got me really um, excited it was really really fun to be uh, to be up there auctioneering cars that I loved with people that I knew so when I had the chance to get behind I was super nervous um, obviously starting once I got the hang of it I really enjoyed the uh, the auctioneering side of the uh, classic car world Tell me what it's like, because I've been to big car auctions and it's incredible to watch what the auctioneer does. Take us through that whole process of learning to be an auctioneer and what you do when you're up there. Amazingly, there isn't actually sort of auctioneering school. You, you know, you can get trained by, uh, by the old wise foxes that have been auctioneering for years and years. But you sort of have to learn as you go along and, and going to all the sales and watching what everyone does makes a big difference. And 
auctioneering, this system has been around for, for forever, but you can really, there's quite a lot of preparation that goes into it. You don't just get up there and wave a gavel. Um, you know, you've got your auctioneer's book, you've got all your numbers, reserves, you've got how many telephone bidders are coming in, and you've got to keep a quite focused on, number one, the information that's in front of you, and then interact with the room at the same time because you never really know what's going to come at you is there going to be people in the room bidding is there not you can't really plan i suppose it's like a um it's like when you go racing you can't really plan for what's going to happen is is someone going to overtake you where's what position are you going to be in so so you do react on your feet and make split second decisions but it's great fun when there's energy in the room and everyone's in a good mood. And uh, and the Americans, I have to say, American audiences are very good for that. They love it. <laughs> oh, yeah, they love it. It's really fun. While still talking about millions and millions of, uh, of dollars or, or, or even tens of thousands of dollars. Sometimes you have just as much fun on a 10,000, buying a $10,000 car than a million dollar car. Do you get to know, because I suppose it's quite a small world, do you get personal relationships with the people in the room and you kind of roughly know that they're going to spend this amount of money? Absolutely. And that, as an auctioneer, that for me at the time made a huge difference, as opposed to someone just getting up there. Number one, knowing the cars. So I was really lucky in that I really knew the cars and I, and I was involved in organising the auction, so I knew who the seller was and, and the values. And then... When you stand up there, you know, you can really coax someone along. You know, you can do sort of, I don't want to say pick on somebody because it should be fun, but you can sort of, right, right. I know you can bid me one more time. Come on now, you in the second row. I just, come on, come on, one more. <laughs> I love it. And, and, uh, and, people, and people do it. It's great. It's great. And hopefully enjoy it along the way. For a free non-committal insurance quote, go to chubb.com forward slash the interviews for more information. What was the most exciting sell that you ever did? You know, it's a bit cliche because it's sort of high value and it's a Ferrari and so on. But but we sold in the Monterey auction the 275 Nart Spider, which was a one owner from new car. It was estimated at the time at sort of 18 to 22 million dollars. But the best and they don't come up. It was one owner from new and the bidding in the room was absolutely electric. It was going up in million dollar increments until it made 26 million dollars. But the wow. best bit of it all, the whole family, it, the, the, the gentleman that bought a new passed away. The kids were selling the car. Um, they were all in the room. And, you know, the best bit is that he was an orphan and they were donating all of the money, everything from that sale of that car to orphanages and, oh, uh, and to build more orphanages. And well, the hammer came down. And I promise you, I was in front of like a thousand people. I was almost in tears because oh. I saw them all the family crying and I thought yeah. I was going to start crying. So oh. that is one that I'll remember forever. Absolutely forever. Magical. Magical. Well, well done. How lovely. And I suppose, I mean, you've been all around the world to do auctions. What was the most, not terrifying, but what was the, well, I suppose it was, was it your first time that you ever stood up and did an auction? Definitely. I was absolutely terrified. I got handed, you know, a book of, you know, because you start small, right? So 30 lots of memorabilia. I'll never forget 30 mascots. And I looked at them. I thought, number one, who's ever going to bid on a mascot? I mean, this is going to be, they're like feeding me to the sharks. And then you stand up there and you think, I've never, ever done this before. Where do I? And it just kind of started. But I was petrified I, for, for days before I wasn't speaking to anyone. I was so scared. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, I remember the hour before thinking to myself, why did I say I'd do this? I don't get it. This is horrendous. I never wanted to do this again. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> but then you yeah, forget, yeah, right? Exactly. You do it and then you forget. 
<laughs> and then you want to do it again. <laughs> and I suppose another question is, where is that point? Let's say we were talking about that Ferrari and you are going up millions. Where is that point where you suddenly have to bring it down to hundreds of thousands or bring it down to thousands or? Well, yeah, that's all about the room. That's all about the feeling. That's all about, you know, reading your bidders when they stop bidding. That's when you can offer a smaller increment. But at which point, you know, you want to keep momentum and the energy going. So I think that's down to the skill of the auctioneer reading the room and knowing when to change it up, when not to change it up. You know, if you have good energy, you can also increase increments. You don't always have to decrease them. So that's all down to managing your bidders and the room. And then you've moved on. So after Sotheby's in 2016, you decided to set out on your own and you launched Girado. Yes, you decided to go out and do it on your own. So what prompted that? You know, I loved my time at RM Sotheby's. I loved being an auctioneer. I did it for 12 years. I would do it uh, all again. I learned so much. But I just, uh, it was time to do something different. You, you only live once. My dad always told me that he should have started his own business a long time ago. And, and unfortunately, I lost him very, very suddenly. He, he passed away. And I thought to myself, you know, sometimes you just have to take a jump and do it for yourself because it's going to be a challenge, because it's fun to start a new business, build something new. RM was, as I said, it was amazing, but it is a big machine. Two things that I really, I, I love cars, and we were getting to the point where there was sort of selling 100 cars every month, you lose the personal touch or getting to know the car. And the other thing that I really like, I love spending time with people, talking to people. Absolutely. I mean, you very, very quickly built an amazing reputation for dealing at the very top end all across the world. So what's that secret of finding the right customers for, I suppose, these rarities? I was, you know, lucky in that having traveled all around being an auctioneer, I met them all. But, you know, it is down to probably like many businesses, down to relationships, down to the relationships that you have with people. And we're talking about some very valuable cars. So there's a lot of a lot of trust involved as well. Knowledge, of course, because you've got to know your, your, your cars, you've got to know your product. You can't make a mistake in the history or the values. And a lot of it is down to the relationships that you build over years. It doesn't come overnight. It's been 20 years in the car world. And I'm really pleased to say that I've got some really good clients that have become really good friends as well. So I think that makes a big, uh, big difference. And then, of course, you just have to put in the hard work, speak to everyone, look for the cars, because it's not easy to find them. It's not easy to uncover them. So hard work and good relationships. Out of all the cars that you've sold, which one would you have loved to have kept? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> That's like the, the impossible question to uh Or how many? Or all of them? Answer. Yeah, how many? Or all of them, yeah. This is the problem when you have this, uh, this uh, is it called it a disease or, a, or you're bitten by the bug of, uh, of cars that you just like to keep all of them. Depends what day you, uh, you ask me on, <laughs> which one would I keep? I have, uh, I joke that I have this virtual garage in my, um, in my head. Every, uh, every Monday morning, it's empty. And as the week goes on, I fill it with uh, all of these cars that I'd like to own and, uh, and like to buy. And then by Sunday night, it's pretty full. So I empty it again, and I start again on Monday morning. Is there a particular one that keeps on coming back into that garage? You know, recently, I don't know why, but recently I have a real hankering for a pre-war car and I have no idea why. I love the Bond cars, but it's probably because just a few weeks ago I went out for a drive in an Alfa Romeo 8C, a 1934 8C. Oh, magic. It was sunny. It was the English lanes. 
I got about five gear changes right, which made me feel really good. Um, <laughs> and you know what? It was magic. Although I can't probably never be able to afford one. It doesn't matter. Recently, after that drive, I'm all excited about pre-war open Alfa Romeos. Yeah, they're just magic. But having said that, if you speak to me tomorrow, I'll probably give you a completely different answer. We'll be on to like McLaren F1s or, or God knows what, some rally car of some description. <laughs> Absolutely. But country lanes, when the sun's shining in the UK, I don't think you could have chosen better. <laughs> and so what do you think of the market at the moment? What do I think of the market? I think the recent COVID and lockdowns has proven that there is a huge amount of passion in our market. I thought to myself when all this lockdown business and COVID starts and I thought, okay, I guess we'll all stop selling cars or stop thinking about cars for the next six months or nine months until this is uh, all over. But as it happens, actually, our business is one of the ones that didn't suffer at all. Uh, I, I don't know whether it's people working from home had more time to look at cars on the internet. Yeah, 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 <laughs> um, exactly. But it shows that people are buying cars because they love them. People are interested because it's a real passion. It's not just an investment. It's much deeper than that. I was really relieved. So the market, it's good. People are still wanting to buy cars, which is great. We had 10 phenomenal years. I mean, Everyone's read about it in the press that cars are going up in value, cars are going up in value. What a great, better than gold. We've seen that everywhere. I wouldn't say that's necessarily the case for the next 10 years, but I can tell you one thing for sure, they're not going down in value. Right. Very, very interesting. And did you have to change the way, obviously, through lockdown? Did you do auctions online or did you just do individual sales? Yeah, no. So in our business, since we left, we um, I do some auctioneering. I do lots of charity auctions and I get hired to auctioneering. But our main business is selling cars one to one. And the way we did business definitely changed. I have never, ever done so many Zoom inspections of cars or or, or FaceTime calls to, uh, to look at a car. It's good because I think it's here to stay. We do loads of video calls now for people that want to look at a car that don't necessarily have time to come over. And I think it's a tool that will use in the future in the classic car world. It's sort of technology meeting classic cars. Absolutely. Fantastic. And apart from the 8C, is there a favourite car of the moment? Yeah, I, do, I have to say I'm Italian. My family's Italian. A Ferrari is always pretty special. And uh, recently a 250 Tour de France, which is sort of a 57 car. It's actually not the go-to car. Everyone loves a short wheelbase. But a TDF, I think, is sort of undervalued, underappreciated. It's still got that 12-cylinder engine, that 3-litre 12-cylinder engine. Yes, it's got drum brakes, but it's part of its charm. Oozes 50s class. The best. The best era for cars, by far. Yeah, there's there's something about that. It's usable, yet it's a challenge to drive. It just ticks so many boxes. It looks good. It sounds good. So that's my pick of the week for the car. Love it. Absolutely love it. Good pick. And is there like a modern car at the moment that you think that would be a future classic? That's, you know, so, so, so difficult. I, I, unfortunately, I don't have the crystal ball. And if I knew, I would probably go and buy all of them. <laughs> so <laughs> so I'll give you a guess. I'll give you an opinion, but don't take it for, for, for sure. Is there a car? I think that if you want to look at modern classics, there are certain criteria that you can follow. If you go find a car that has a good brand, so that's always a good thing for the future, that is produced in 
limited numbers or a special edition. It seems that the more collectible cars are the sportier ones. So a sporty, limited edition, good brand would probably be a good car for the future. I mean, the easy ones, you take the Ferraris, all the F cars, the LaFerrari and, uh, and Enzos, they are collectible now and they will become collectible in the future even more, even yeah. more yeah but there's also recently cars like from the 2000s like the the subarus and uh, the the p1 and those two-door the two-door subaru sort of hom homologation specials they're limited editions at the time nobody really wanted them and now it seems that there is a, a much more sort of it's starting to pick up there was an auction a silverstone auction where there was a Mitsubishi Lancer Mackinac edition, which made double the estimate. And, and to me, that's a generation thing. People that can afford it are looking back to that era of car. And it's a limited edition. It's got some race tenuous pedigree or it's, it's, it's related to some competition cars. So I think if you look at cars from the 2000s that are limited, that are a bit special, those will definitely have a future as, a, as collectible cars. Right. And you said that, you know, that classic cars at the moment are, you know, we've been on a high, but they're not going to come down. What do you think the next 10 years look like within the market? I'm seeing more and more younger people coming in to be interested in cars, which is great, you know, because so many times I get the call in the office saying, oh, you know, classic cars, you know, the new generation, are they going to be interested? Who's going to buy a pre-war car? Uh, it's true. Who's going to buy a pre-war car? But for example, I mean, I guess I'm really into it. I don't remember pre-war cars when they were new, but I still, uh, I still like them. You learn and you appreciate um, the history and, and, the, and the heritage and the driving experience. Uh, mustn't forget the driving experience. There's, you know, a 50s car gives you a specific driving experience that no other car does. And access to events like the Millimilia. Um, you've done the Millimilia, haven't you? Um, uh, I have indeed. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So, so, and you can't do that in a 70s, 80s or 2000s car. It has to be pre-57. So there is a, a an access to events and, and experiences that these cars will, will give you. So that will keep the interest and the value of these cars um, uh, strong and the passion. You cannot underestimate passion. You could call any of my clients and say, your car is going to go down in value by 20%. And lots of them would say to you, it doesn't matter. It's my car. I'm going to keep it. Whereas if they had stocks or shares, they would say, great, sell them now. Yeah, out, <laughs> out, out, out. <laughs> the passion in the world of cars is, uh, can be underestimated. Yeah, huge. And I suppose, are you concerned with the big push for zero carbon emissions? Do you think the classic market is going to face some difficulty in the future? Is it going to face difficulty? I think that for sure, classic cars maybe won't be as usable. Maybe we'll, we will resort to using them for special occasions, whether it's special events, whether it's tours. I mean, looking really into the future, will they ever go away? No, I think they'll just not. Maybe in 50 years, we won't be using petrol engines just to do the school run. Um, but come a Goodwood event or a Millimilia or a rally or a tour, then... Um, we'll be able to take them out. I, I sort of compare it to the, the horses. Um, you know, in early 1900s, everyone was on horses and the car came out. People used to take a horse to go from A to B. Then the car sort of replaced the horse, but horses haven't disappeared. It's just that you don't often go to Sainsbury's on your horse. You now take a car. No, I would love <laughs> <that>. would you? <laughs> 
I want to see Jody so... Kidd in front of Sainsbury's on a horse. <laughs> I honestly, I've just got the best vision. And I'm looking out my window, and I'm very lucky. I've got a, I've got a retired racehorse that I'm looking at now. Oh my goodness! I'm gonna do it. I'm, I tell you, I want a picture. Oh, brilliant. Um, so, I mean, you have become quite famous for your videos. I mean, I saw one where you were delivering a Christmas tree in a McRae Subaru Impreza. Do you think it's important kind of like, you know, showing these cars being used properly or maybe not so much? <laughs> I don't know if you can say delivering a Christmas tree is used properly, but <laughs> but yes, I think the cars are meant to be driven. I think that uh, I, I always... I say get grumpy, but I always tell my clients, don't forget to take your car out for a drive because it's part of the experience. Don't just let them sit in the garage and, and take them out. Enjoy it. It's that gives you so much pleasure. And I am all for people getting out, using, driving, showing uh, the cars because that fuels our passion. It's great to meet other people. It shows people cars on, on the road and cars look better on the road. They just, they sound good. There's the smells, there's the gear change. The It's just, it's yes, 100%. Cars have to be used. I totally agree. And um, I've been doing, I started this um, car YouTube channel and I've been lucky enough to go out in some beautiful, beautiful cars. And it's the, the reaction on the street of people actually looking at, you know, these beautiful 50s Ferraris and things like that. And it makes people just literally smile and it stops them in their, you know, in their stride. And, you know, I do the same when I see a beautiful car, it just makes me happy. So I think it's so, so important that everyone, you know, don't cover it in Cotmore, get out there, enjoy it because everyone else loves to see it as well. Yeah, you're sharing the passion, right? You're sharing it. It's, it's amazing how many people come up and say, oh, what is it? Or, or, or just this sort of sparks conversation. I think that especially when it comes to old cars, I think people really love to see an old car on the road. Gives other people a smile. Yeah, totally, totally. And I know that you love a bit of racing and I understand you're also into classic motorsports. So what do you race? Tell us about that. What do I race? I race anything and everything I can get my hands on. <laughs> this is the problem when you're when you're such an amateur. Just basically whenever anyone says, shall we, do you want to go and do a race? Yep, yeah, I'm in. Yep, yep, yep. What do I race? Um, uh, so I'll be in uh, at the Goodwood Revival. I'll be in a Ferrari 250 interim short wheelbase, which is great. Oh my goodness. Do you not get a bit nervous that the track's quite narrow and you've got lots of other crazy people around you? It's like that auctioneering story I told you. So right now that we're, we're whatever it is, six weeks, it's great. It's going to be amazing. If you then ask me the day before, I'm going to think, oh, God, you know, it's not my car. And is this a good idea? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Reality sets in. Yeah. So that I do a little bit of, I've been a little bit of modern racing. The, this year, for example, I did the Nürburgring 24-hour race, which amazing turned out to be a 10-hour race because they stopped it because of the fog. But uh, so that's uh, doing a little bit of that. I love rally cars. It's sort of in my blood. So I've, I've done some historic rallies like San Remo or Monte Carlo rally. Basically, I just love to drive. I was at Silverstone on the weekend in, an, in a modern sort of Lamar prototype. I'll try my hand on anything. Not going to say I'm going to win everything, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it a good shot, though. Absolutely. Quite right. Um, and has there been a favourite racing moment? 
Do you know, I love classic cars. It's my passion. But seven or eight years ago, I did, speaking of the Nürburgring, Nürburgring 24-hour race. And with 24-hour racing, you're, you're, it's, it's quite intense. You're tired. You don't get good sleep. I did the last stint in the car. I mean, it was only a little Renault Clio. Nothing, nothing sort of super exciting. But four of us, we had some damage. I, I must admit, I did a little damage to the car during the night, which the team managed to fix. And until the last lap, we were sort of racing for a, for a victory in our class and uh, and managed to win, win our class. I think I was just tired. The team was on the radio. We made it to the end and it was so memorable. I even remember having tears in my eyes going, going around. Oh, amazing. Also, it's like a team effort. There was four people there driving. It, that, it, it's really stuck in my mind. That's, uh, that's not one I'm going to remember for a while. I know, because it is so normal. Of course, you have all the engineers and, and everything like that. But it is a very solo thing when you race cars. So it's a lovely, lovely experience when you get to kind of share it like that. Yeah, so I, that's one that I'll remember. I'm, I'm uh, yeah, endurance racing. I'm a big fan of endurance racing. I like it when you go out with, a, with some friends and do six hours or four hours. You know, everyone gets to drive in and out the car. It's, uh, it's great teamwork. Yeah, absolutely. And do you become a different person when you're racing? Do you get the red mist? Do I get the red mist? I guess probably a little bit. Uh, I'd like to say no, but I guess probably everyone does, right? You put your helmet on, you're like, <laughs> right, <laughs> out my way. <laughs> and off he goes into the gravel pit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's basically you've just summed up racing, for, for, certainly for me. <laughs> there we go. We share something in common. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, Max, it's just been such a pleasure to talk to you. But um, we've got to this part in the podcast. In, in this series, we're running a special little theme and it's called One Piece at a Time, and where we're asking our guests to select one prized possession to bring to the podcast. It could be anything, a part of a car, a photograph, an artifact, but certainly a piece that has a special memory or meaning to you. So Max, what would that one piece be? You know, I think that, that this, it's, a, it's, a, it's a small thing, um, uh, but it, it definitely made a huge difference to my life and, and 12 years of, of RM Sotheby's, and it's gonna have to be my, uh, my gavel. I met so many people, learned so much. I've seen so many cars. It's made me uh, travel all around the world. So, uh, so I think it'll have to be my my little tiny little piece of wood. It's a little tiny wooden gavel. I say tiny, but uh, but that really has changed my life. Oh, I love it. Can you take a picture of it and send it to us? Yep. So that we can we can show uh, all our listeners. You can count on it. Gosh, Max, thank you so much for joining me on our podcast. I mean, it's just been such a treat to speak to you. Um, so thank you very, very much. My pleasure. It's good fun. I love sharing stories about cars and people. It's, uh, it's what I love. Oh, amazing. And I shall see you at the revival. I'll be there. I shall be waving. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. All right, my love. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Bye. Save up to 33% on Chubb Multicar Insurance. Go to chubb.com forward slash the interviews for more information. Well, that was absolutely fascinating. What a lovely, lovely chap. So Max has shared his special one piece at a time item, and we would love it if you, the listener, could share your own special piece. So please post your pics on Instagram or Facebook or send it on an email. On Facebook or Instagram, just search for Chubb. That's C-H-U-B-B, collect a car. Or for email, it's classiccars at chubb.com. Or browse chub.com forward slash the interviews. 
So thank you so, so much for joining me today for the latest episode of the Chubb interview series brought to you by Chubb, who share our passion for classic cars. There'll be another episode very soon. To receive every episode as it's released, please subscribe on your favourite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, please review and spread the word. And don't forget to email us your stories about your most loved classics. I'm Jodie Kidd. Until next time. Bye bye. The Chubb Interviews with Jody Kidd. Brought to you by Chubb Insurance, expert insurers of your most valued possessions. Established since 1882.